Morning, church. Open your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. I want to start off by saying this. I am grateful uh, for those who are here to worship here and present, but I am really grateful for those who are listening in online. And I don't know that, that some of you know this, but that's a tape-delayed service. We are not simulcasting this for the moment. Uh, we take this service and then we show it a little bit later at 3 or 4, thanks to Clark Sayer in large, uh, who helps edit that and puts that on the, on the web. But we are working hard to make sure that this becomes a simulcast, and we're a couple of weeks away from that. I don't know how many exactly weeks, but we're narrowing in on it. The problem has been having a carrier here who would provide a signal with enough bandwidth we could do that. It has just been pitiful. Anybody who's tried to use their cell phone for teaching classes and their computers, it's just been awful. And we couldn't get a provider to up their game so we could up our game. Uh, but HCTC has agreed to do that. They're running the lines to us. Um, and we also have an anonymous brother and sister here who are, are experts, not experts. They have a lot of expertise. They wouldn't want me to say that about them in the area of broadcasting and television. Uh, so they're providing the computers. Uh, they're providing the cameras, uh, and they're also going to be providing the expertise of getting all that set up. And so we're close, uh, because we really think it's important uh, that we, we do all that we can to make our family feel connected, and having them actually hear, hearing the things that we're hearing, singing the things that we're singing together, we believe goes a long way in doing that. So uh, keep praying about that. But I say all that in part to say this, as, as much as live services don't just happen by accident. They happen because of God's grace. They happen because of some very serious intentionality and effort and planning. Neither does a family that matters. Just accidentally happen. Now we tend to live like that's not true, but it's, it's just not true. A family that matters, both to that family itself and to those around that family, occurs because of God's grace but also with a combination with our intention and effort and training. But we've gone back in this series to see that it starts with this incredible God who not only creates us, but loves us so, so very much. The family's His design. And while He can create a marriage by joining two people into one, while He can bring a new baby into the world by a design that only He's come up with, it still takes our cooperation, doesn't it, to help him build a home that matters. Amen? Are we tracking? Okay. So this fall, we've been revisiting some key principles from Scripture. Principles that remind us of how a family flourishes. And whether your family's made up of one or nine. Are the Robertsons at nine now, Troy and Bonnie? Is their family nine? With Troy and Bonnie, yes. Yeah, with Troy and Bonnie. Nine, whether it's one or nine, it doesn't matter how many. It matters how much and how well we listen to God and His design for this thing. Now Satan, he wants you to doubt that your family can matter. He wants you to doubt that your family can flourish. He wants you to doubt that your family can actually help bring ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus. And if you've bought into those doubts, please hear me, get your money back. Because you don't have to settle for that. Jesus says this, what's impossible with man is never impossible with God. Amen? Now, to enjoy a family that matters, God's provided through His Word a plan that makes it possible. We've looked now at a significant 
peace that a sacred marriage has over a secular marriage in our society. We've looked at the significance of a praying parent who's dependent upon God's strength and what they have over a parent who's secular, who's depending upon their own. And secular, I just mean those who've chosen not to acknowledge God and not to follow God. This morning, I'm going to look at the significance of money management that's done His way instead of our way. Before we do that, let's dive in and pray. Lord, we join St. Peter's Episcopal Church this morning in coming to lift up Your name in praise, to come together and to lift up Your Word as the guide and strength for our lives. We come welcoming the Holy Spirit into our lives. Grateful for the forgiveness that you've given us. Grateful that the cross has made us clean, absolutely pure in your sight. But thank you for the power. Thank you for the person of the Spirit that you've given, not just to uh, the folks at uh, the Episcopal Church, but also to ours. We are one body, one family, trying our best to follow one Lord, one faith. And we need your help doing that. Especially to keep us one. So much has divided us over the years, and we're praying this morning, please continue to help make us one, that the world might believe that you sent your Son, and that it mattered. And we ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said. <laughs> San Antonio's own Buddy Cook is a member of the Oak Hills Church. And several months back, he was inducted into the Texas Golf Hall of Fame. Now, although he's a good player, he's probably better known for being a great teacher. He's taught the likes of Justin Leonard, professional on the Pro Tour, Tom Landry, George Strait, and a lot of others. He's been the head teaching professional at a lot of the elite San Antonio golf courses. And as you can imagine, this man's got a lot of golf stories to tell. But the one he loved to tell most, he told at his induction to the Golf Hall of Fame, he said that when he was in Europe, he was at the old course known as St. Andrews. It's one of the most revered places where they play the British Open every year. When Buddy had an opportunity to play St. Andrews, he did so with the same caddy, now you're going to remember this name a lot of you guys, that the six-time major winner, Lee Trevino, used when he won the British Open there. When Buddy tells the story of his golf there, he said they were, he was playing the 17th, which is the famous roll hole of those of us who love golf. He had a great drive, and it left him about 140 yards out. And so he turned to his caddy, and he asked what club he should use. Well, he replied, Mr. Trevino, when he was in this exact spot, won the Open Championship here, used an 8-iron. So Buddy pulled an 8-iron, hit it perfectly, but came up 15 yards short. Well, he turned to his caddy, a little bit frustrated, and his caddy said, you know, that same thing happened when Mr. Trevino hit the 8-iron. <laughs> My nanny used to say life, like in golf. She actually didn't say golf. Runs this way. If we always do what we've always done, We'll always get what we've always got. Now, her grammar's not perfect, but her point, I think, is dead on. That's true not just in golf, but especially true in the home. I don't know about your family, but sometimes the sportsmen get in a rut. We do the same things over and over, but we hope for different results. Now, some people will call that insanity. My nanny just called it silly. And if you're disappointed this morning with how your family's operating, I just want to say God's got some ideas about how to change that. He really does. How to move your family from here into a better place, a, a, a fuller place, a, a more joyful place, a more peaceful place. And that's what I'm hoping this fall series does. Because it's a reminder, at least to me, 
That God's forever at work trying to speak into our lives and give us the needed tools to change and to grow. But that change starts when we decide that the home is His idea and operates best when guided by His ways. And He would say that especially holds true with the managing of money. Which is such a key component, I think, to the joy factor in any home. Research article after research article that I looked at for the last month has pointed out that money is the major stressor to most families. According to an article called Money Habitudes, 31% of all couples, all of them, even the happy ones, clash over money issues at least once a month. The common points of disagreement are major purchases, partner spending habits, and investment decisions. Now, I've found just by living in one that money is a major issue in any family. And so it's no wonder that the handling of money is a major issue in the scriptures. It may surprise some of you to know that of the 38 parables that Jesus tells, Jesus told 16 of them in regards to money and to the handling of the possessions that that money buys. It may surprise you to know that the scripture contains 500 references to prayer, but it contains over 2,000 references to money and the things that it buys. So, since money's a major issue in marriage, and since money's a major issue in the Bible, I hope it makes sense that we include at least one of these Sundays in this series towards talking about it. Now, to hear a more detailed presentation about specific plans for your money, I want to point you to Dave Ramsey. It's the course that I point people to. We've been doing them here ever since we've arrived and before. John Rich had had them going 15 years before I ever got here. But my goodness, what a great resource for developing a plan to handle your money. But this morning I'm going to share with you four quick examples that the sportsmen's use in their life to try to handle theirs. The first is this. You start where all major issues of your life should start, by offering a prayer for help. James says this, the brother of Jesus, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Now, I don't know about you, but I like praying prayers that I believe pretty much are going to get answered. Did you hear what God said? If anybody here lacks wisdom, then please let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Now, to pray that prayer takes some humility. That's why a lot of people just don't pray it. They think they know what to do anyways. They just need strength or they need some resources to do it. No, God says start with realizing I don't know much of anything. I had a a conversation with a a mom not too long ago from uh, Arms of Hope and she came up and she said, man, I've heard some of the things you've had to say about mentoring. Got me one. Heard some things about what you said this morning in your message about family and and, and some intentionality that needs to take place there. Tell me a little bit more about that. And the first thing I said to her was this. If you want to go further with your family than you ever dreamed possible, then you come to God saying, I don't know how to do this. Because so many folks that I have counseled with and have come to me and asked the same questions really, really think they do know. But if you'll come to God saying, I don't know how to do this, you show me. He will, and it will be amazing. It will matter, I promise you. 
But it's got to start there with realizing, I don't know what I'm doing. And you know what? I want you to know this. Without God, I don't have a clue when it comes to money what to do. But I promise you, in our early 20s, coming out of families who, <laughs> whose bottom line was the bottom rung of middle class, okay? We came from poor folks, okay? Both Gail and I. We wanted to do better with our money. And to be honest, we didn't look to our parents for how they handled theirs well. But we did start looking to God and saying, God, how do you handle this well? And would you surround us with people who obviously are handling it well? And he said yes. He said yes. And started pointing us to some of the principles that make for a successful way to handle this stuff that we all live with every single day. And so number two, we outlined a plan for success. George Reed, Carlene's husband, just simply called it this. Well, if you want to be successful with money, give a little, save a little, and give a lot of things for what you have. If you like numbers that are a little bit more specific, this one might help. It's called the 10-10-80 plan. You've heard me refer to this in some other series. We did a series called Money Talks about eight months ago. And I talked a little bit about this here. And it's really not that difficult a concept to get. For every dollar that comes into the sportsman household, we do something very simply with it. Ten cents we give away to people who need it more than we do. Ten cents we put aside for future needs in our lives. And we've learned to live off 80. We've been doing that since we were 23 years old. The 10-10-80 plan. The 10 cents that we, we give, where did that come from? Well, it came from the Old Testament when he, when he said, here's what I want you to do as far as bringing money to the temple to take care of the priests and the poor. So we follow that model. It also comes with a pretty good promise in Malachi that if you do that, God will open up his heavens and bless your life. Well, he doesn't exactly carry that over fully in the New Testament. It actually gets a little bit harder in the New Testament. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But we started there. We're just giving 10% away to people to, to whatever they needed and we could have out of our dollars. Then we started saving 10%. Saving it for what? Well, for accidents and unforeseen health problems. <laughs> and a tire that blows out because some guy let his glass Coke bottle drop out of his truck and I ran over it. Because of your, dare daughter, your daredevil daughter's ability to break her arm about every second year. All of those things that are, we don't foresee coming, but we know probably are for our family. Now, is there any scripture that we can point to that talks about the importance of saving? I think Proverbs 6 is a great one. Look at the ant. Watch it closely. Let it teach you a thing or two. Nobody has to tell it what to do. All summer it stores up food. At harvest it stockpiles provisions. And so how long are you going to laze around doing nothing? Do you know what comes next? Just this. You can look forward to a dirt poor life and poverty as a permanent house guest. Now, I don't mind having people in my home, but that's one house guest I don't want in there. All right? Dave Ramsey encourages people to start with $1,000. Give away 10%, start saving 10%, but, but work really hard at saving that first $1,000 to try to help cover some of those unexpected things that are going to come your way in your family and some of the things that would break anybody's heart that happens. But start with $1,000 and then move to three to six months of what your normal living expenses are. He calls that an emergency fund. We thought that was pretty wise and so we did that. 
it became such a benefit to our family that not only when we weren't having to use it, we could use it for the rest of our church family. When they found out they experienced emergencies that ran over their emergency fund or if they didn't have any. That was huge. Now, when we finally got to three to six months of saving for, for what our normal monthly expenses are, we just kept on saving for future needs like tires. I don't know if you notice this, they wear out. And, and for contacts that need to be replaced. And for a vacation for our fifth anniversary, for us now it's going to be our 40th that we're saving for. For clothes that need to be replaced. In college that was coming with two girls being in at the same time. Now we're saving for grandkids. We began saving for the next car that we wanted to pay for cash for. All of that gave us, listen to me, financial freedom. There's a lot of things in our lives that are stressors to the sportsman, but money really hasn't been for us. Now, that meant saying no to a lot of eating out. That, mean, that, meant, owning, that meant not owning some of the latest technology from Apple. It meant more movies from Redbox and going to the theater. But we still live large, I promise you. And we gave God thanks for every cent of that 80 cents that he gave us to live on. Now, when it came to that 80 cents, we started telling that 80 cents where to go. We put together a spending plan for telling our money to go to the taxes and go to the rent and go to the groceries and, and go to the car payments and go to the student loans and go to the insurance. And a very small amount went to blow money. Oh, man. Now, this one isn't in the Bible, but I would make sure that it got into your life. You've got to have blow money. You've got to have a little bit to do anything that you want with. And so in the very beginning of our marriage, we set up two tennis cans. Seriously. And we didn't get a lot of it because we were, worried, we were doing a lot of other things with it. But if we came up with extra money, half of it would go in her tennis can, half would go in my tennis can, and you could spend it on anything. For me, it was golf clubs and bows and arrows. For Gail, it just sat there. She likes saving a lot. I have no idea how much money is in her canned money. I would be envious if I did, but she's got a bunch of it. I don't have much because mine comes in and it goes out. But you know what? There's been no arguments about, well, how come you're playing golf and I don't get to buy dishes? Or how come you're, you're going to go get your manicure and I can't have a bow and arrow? It did away with all of that. Now, that's just a sidebar. It didn't cost anything. Okay. That's how we began handling that 80 cents that we decided we were going to live on. And it was a plan. And we got that from Jesus who said this. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Now, none of us knows how much money it's going to take to raise a family and help get them started in raising their own family. But we put together a plan called the 101080 plan to at least have something that we were aiming at. But a key part of that wasn't just simply offering God prayer or outlining a plan. The third one was this. It was opting to live on cash rather than try to survive on credit. Here's probably the biggest mistake that we see in couples who come to us for counseling in their marriages. Is that they've been attempting to live off of what their budget can fit with monthly payments that they have going out. Rather than trying to live on the cash that they have, they have all these monthly payments. And you know what's problematic about that? Is life has to go perfect to make all those monthly payments. There's no margin in it for the unexpected and the disastrous to hit. Like a parent who needs help paying for their chemo. 
like a three to six month furlough because of some deadly virus that hits the world. There's no margin. And so the stress comes and the fusses come and the divorce comes because of so much of it. Early on, we were slaves. That's what Proverbs 22, 7 says. The poor are always ruled over by the rich. And so don't borrow but put yourself, by putting yourself under their power. Now, I don't know if you've been in slavery other than this, but no slavery is good slavery. Slavery's been in the news a lot lately because of, of what happened to those who were dark-colored skins in our, in our country many, many years ago. But slavery at any time is awful. And I just want to say this, you don't have to live in that slavery by constantly having to borrow money to live in this life. You don't. Is it easy to get out of that? No. But it's possible. By 38 years old, by God's grace and a plan for having a plan for his, um, our expenses by opting to live on cash. By 38 years old, by God's grace, we didn't owe anybody anything. Romans 8 and verse 30, 13 and verse 8 says, Owe no one anything but to love them. Until 38, we weren't able to obey that command. Well, we made that a goal to do that. And so for the last 21 years, we've had no house payments. We've had no car payments. And you can do a lot when you don't have those two payments. Am I bragging? Heavens no. Because I didn't have a clue about any of this stuff. We just begged God, would you please give us some wisdom about how to go about doing this so that we could have some kind of a plan for life and not have to be a slave and borrow money all of our lives. Now, I think a fourth key part of this is this. Outlandishly giving God praise. Now, I wasn't going to put this in here, so I didn't give it to the guys that put it on slide. But here's how much praise matters to God. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godliness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. We would expect that. Since what he made known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen by everybody. Being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave him thanks. Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like immortal man and birds. Therefore, God gave them over and their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity and for the degrading of their bodies to one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. If not by us, by the heavens, by the rocks, by the trees, by the angels. And so that's why I put the fourth one in there. Outlandishly giving God praise is a key. That's why David says this. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all our sins and heals all our diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. So, well, Jimmy, why does God urge us to give him thanks? Is it because his ego is that big? No. It's because ours is. How often have you 
taken credit for, or at least thought that you were responsible for the good things that you did in your life. That's why I'm going to say it again. I don't dare take any credit for what I've tried to describe for you is help this, this young family who's not so young anymore have some financial freedom in their life. We went begging at the very beginning, God, please help us with this. And then along the way, He revealed a plan. He surrounded us with people. He gave us a chance to be able to, to taste and see that cash is good rather than credit. And so we've been praising Him as much and as often as we can. And I still want to continue doing it. And I still want to continue pointing people to the fact that you can have a plan that helps you establish and understand and experience financial freedom. Besides, if you can't be grateful for what you have, I can promise you, you won't be grateful for more. Because God notices a grateful heart. He blesses a grateful heart. And so I just want to encourage all of us in the church, give Him thanks. Because He loves a cheerful giver. Now, that's the sportsman's plan for managing money His way. And I, I really don't care if you use the plan or not, but I do care that you get a plan. I really do. Because regarding the old adage, there's never been anything more appropriate when it applies to money than this. Nobody plans to fail, but many fail to plan. Which is why the average credit card debt per family in America is now $9,333. Some of you are above average in this category. An average of 14% of a family's income goes to pay interest on debt. 40% of Americans are spending more than they make. I didn't make that one up. 40% of Americans are spending more than they make. That's why the financial stress is the number one reported cause of divorce. I think you can see why this message was so much on my heart. We need help to manage his money his way. And so I'm thrilled that he offers it and he does. Now, if I had to mention one scripture in closing that I think kind of summarizes all of this together, it would have to be Hebrews 13 and verse 5. That says this, please keep your lives free from the love of money. Have a plan for how to use it. Have a plan for what to do with it. But be, don't be seduced into loving it. Be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Now I want you to notice real quickly, there's one warning there and there's two preventions. First, he describes the danger of money that always has for anybody. And that's the love of money. Here's a great definition for greed. Greed is the love that God hates. Greed is the love that God hates. It's not money's presence. It's not money's abundance. But greed is the love, the passion, making it the, the God, the idol of my life, that I've got to have more of this if I want more life. Jesus says this in Luke 12 to counter that thinking. Life is not measured by how much you own. And it's not. And nothing drove that point home more this week than the story that Bob Russell tells about one of my favorite board games growing up as a kid. Maybe yours too, Monopoly. He tells of a time when he was playing with his family during the holidays. And he was on a roll. He picked up Park Place to go with Boardwalk to make a powerful Monopoly. Everybody loves that one. He owned all the railroads. He owned one more property Monopoly. He was emptying his family's cash reserves as fast as you could say, show me the money. And soon his opponents were counting their dollar bills while he was counting his hundred dollar bills. At 1 a.m., everybody went bankrupt but Bob. 
He expected a word of congratulations from his family, a pat on the back, but nobody said a word. They stood up quietly and made their way to their respective bedrooms. And he shouted, wait a second. Someone has to put away the game. And the oldest daughter said, that's your reward for winning, Dad. (laughs) And this is how he summarized that night later when he got up in the middle of the night and got on his word processor. There I sat alone with all my hotels and all my deeds and all my cash, and I realized it didn't amount to a thing. I had to put them all away in a box, and I put it back on the shelf. I went back upstairs to a cold bed. Not once did my wife say, we're so proud of you, Mr. Monopoly. You're such a great investor. She gave me a perfunctory peck for a kiss, turned over, and there I lay in the darkness comparing Monopoly to life. How we work so hard to accumulate things that do not matter, trying to impress people who do not care. And then we go meet God, leaving behind the deeds and the cars and the hotels and the cash. And it made me think of Psalms 46, 19, he says. David says, don't be impressed with those who get rich and pile up fame and fortune. They can't take it with them. Fame and fortune will all be left behind just when they think they've arrived and folks praise them because they've made good. They enter the family burial plot where they'll never see sunshine again. You see, we aren't immortal because we don't last long. Like our dogs, we age and we weaken and we die. Thank you, Jimmy. I'm so glad I came this morning. That's sobering though, isn't it? Greed forgets that. Greed tries to squeeze life out of money and things, and it's just not their church. And for that reason, our God who loves us warns us, stay away from the love of money. Now that's the peril, what's the prescription? Here it is, being satisfied and content with what you have. Here's your love work for the day. We're doing a lot of love work on Wednesday night, so that phrase is kind of carried over here. Here's your love work for the day. Do yourself a favor, and I want you to stop sometime today for five minutes only and see if you can pull this one off. Just say, for all that I have right now, God, I'm grateful. For the body you've given me, the parents you've given me, the kids, the air that I'm breathing with my lungs, the things that I can see with my eyes, and the food that I had for breakfast and maybe for lunch. Father, it's enough, and I just want to say thank you. And I want to recognize you're the one who's responsible for all this. And I want to say it again, thank you. The scripture says that's a great way not to just spend five minutes, it's a great way to live. And those who do, have you noticed? (laughs) They're living. Oh man, you can spot the grateful a mile away, can't you? And you can spot the ungrateful a mile away. And so I just want to encourage you, make that more than just a five-minute commitment. How about a a week's commitment? How about a month's commitment? But let's just start with five minutes. That would be a good place for all of us to start. Because some of us right now are just convinced if we had more, we'd be happy. God says, I can't give you more because that's not true. But if you could be happy with what you have, for just five minutes we could talk. We'll start there.
Johnny Grimes told me the other day, he's a funeral director here in our town. They do 700 funerals a year. I said, of those 700 people who had a funeral this year, who got to take any of it with them? He laughed. He said, you know, there's no hearses on the back of, um, there's no U-Hauls on the back of hearses. That's an old little line that goes with it, but it's true. We can't take any of it with us. <laughs> when um, John D. Rockefeller died, someone asked his accountant, Mr. Rockefeller, how much did he leave behind? He smiled and said, all of it. I like that. Scripture says everyone comes naked from their mother's womb and everyone comes, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toll and they can carry, that they can carry in their hands. Why don't we get to take any of it with us? None of it was ours anyway. David says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Maybe that's the problem. That we've forgotten that we're not owners, we're just stewards. We're just managers. It's all his anyway. So this morning I just want to remind all of us, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, even those who live in it, whether they acknowledge him or not. So please, brother, don't confuse stewardship with ownership. One day, the famous evangelist John Wesley had a man run up to him with some urgent news. He said, Mr. Mr. Wesley, Mr. Wesley, your house has burned to the ground. It's burned to the ground, sir. And after weighing his words for the moment, Mr. Wesley responded, no. God's house burned to the ground. That's just one less thing for me to have to manage. I'd like to get to that place. The second part of the prescription that the Hebrew writer says is I just can't take it with me, but also I have a God with me all the time. I will never fail you and I will never abandon you. That's why I can be at peace with what I have for the moment. Money will fail you. Possessions will disappoint you. But God promises, I will be with you forever. And so keep God in the money conversation. And I promise you, very few choices that you and your family make will ever matter more. Let me end with this. Money can buy you a bed. But it can't buy you rest. It can buy you a clock. But money can't buy you time. It can buy you a book. But it won't buy you brains. It can buy you quiet. But you can't buy peace. It can buy you a house. Not a home. It can buy you medicine, but not health. It can buy you luxuries, but not life. It can buy you entertainment, but not joy. Money can pay for a church building like this one. But it cannot build a church. It can buy a crucifix, but it can't buy a cross. And it can buy you stuff. But only God can give you a Savior. Hmm. Stuff Jimmy can live without. I can't live without a Savior. How about you? Because a Savior for any family is the only thing that matters. Father, we come to you this morning again. um, You know the trepidation I felt this morning about this message. All of this is about you. 
anything that the sportsmen's have, anything that we've been blessed with is because you've been involved in our lives. And through the midst of such messes that we've made, such mistakes. But Father, you've pointed us to plans to not just trying to live accidentally. And I pray some way, somehow, that that truth comes out of me and into hearts this morning, especially to some kids and some teens and some college kids who are getting ready to start their own lives, managing their own money. And so, God, please help us. Please help them. We need you so much. But as much as anything that we've talked about this morning, God, please help us to remember we're stewards of all this, not owners. It's all yours. And so together we bring all the praise and all the glory to you, saying thank you, thank you, thank you. For all that you've done, thank you. And for all that you're going to do, for all that you've promised and all that you are, you are the one who's carried us through. And so we've come this morning to say thank you. In Jesus' name and everyone's sin. Let's stand and let's sing, church.